Welcome to Market Proof Marketing, the podcast from the Marketing Minds at deconvert.com, where we talk about the current state of all things digital and how they impact home builders and developers around the globe. We're not here to sell you. We're here to help you and to try and elevate the conversation. I'm Kevin Oakley. Today we have Greg Bray, the owner of Blue Tangerine and the host of the Home Builder Digital Marketing Podcast, along with Kevin Weitzel from Outhouse. Greg, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. We got to hang out at the Tropical New Home Sales and Management Retreat with uh, Roland Narnsey and his family, both literally and figuratively, <laughs> a couple weeks ago. And it was great to get to know Greg a little bit better as a, as a fellow presenter there and learn a little bit more about what you're doing. And you'd graciously had me on your podcast. And so we'd already scheduled trying to get you back on here. But again, it was great to get to hang out with you in, in Florida for a couple of days. And yeah, that was a lot of fun. It was. It was that was a great, that was a great program for sure. Yeah. So you are the owner of Blue Tangerine. Give people a quick summary. I mean, you guys have been around a long time. I feel like to date myself intentionally, I got into like my first year, I think, I think the first year I attended the builder show is 2007. And I feel like you and Tom Nelson were kind of the, the OGs of the, of like the home builder agency. I don't even know what I'm saying, but yeah. I, I just feel like you guys, well, you, you both have been around a long time. And so I think it'd be good to just give a quick background on the company and kind of how it's grown. Yeah, um, sure. No, I, I mean, those, those numbers do sound really old and I was not as gray then for sure. That's, I, I actually, I actually worked on my first home builder site back in 2000 is, is when Oreo. Okay, wait, let's South just stop Florida. there then. What was, yeah. what was, what was the builder? Are they still in business? Yeah. Did it yeah. look like GeoCities? <laughs> Tell us all the things. So it was Oriole Homes. They did not make it through the 2008, you know, they, they kind of, but they had been, a, they were in South Florida. Um, it was interesting because I still remember the theme of that because they did it as a photo album. So all the images, we put those little uh -huh. tabs on the corner, like you used to, for yeah. those of you who have never seen a photo album, this is when you used to print pictures and stick them in a book before you just looked at them on your phone. For those people who maybe we'll have to send some, some links to what those look like for those who aren't familiar with them before you that was back when everything online. was designed yeah. in the digital <laughs> web world to look like a physical object. Yes. What, what, yeah, what, what, exactly. Forget. So yeah. But uh, I was actually able to find a copy of that site on the Wayback Machine uh, not too long ago. Oh, that's uh, I, was awesome. I was looking at it. So there's still some things there. So yeah, that was a lot of fun. And I was not an owner at that point. I was a developer for the agency. And I eventually in 2006 bought that agency from the existing owner because they were, they were actually a, a former home builder and had gotten huh. into the digital world. So that's how we kind of became in that home building space. I mean, kind of started overlapping in, in that way. And then, uh, of course, you know, 2006 is a great time to start a new business or become an owner as you, you know, have all these amazing, exciting growth plans that got squashed like a bug in 2007 and eight and, and kind of, you know, took me, uh, took me through a whole nother level of, of business school <laughs> level of learning of life, learning of what it meant to run an agency and a business and, and such there. So, but we continued to, uh, to, survived that and and kind of came out of it. And honestly, builders builders got a lot more digital out of 2008. You know, they, yeah. they kind of this is Necessity. when we we started stepping away from newspaper ads and and the 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 billboards are still there, but I think they've reduced a little bit in their usage and and some of those other opportunities they everybody kind of recognized finally. I mean, we've been talking about it for a long time, but everybody finally started to say, hey, this internet thing really is a way I can generate leads. And of course, you know, you know, with with Mike Lyon there and and some of it, his things, even before that, he 
was telling people internet leads are real. Hello. You know, yeah. internet leads are real. They're real people. They, they really have money. They want to buy stuff, you know, don't ignore them. Yeah. What's funny <laughs> so, is the, the, the joke um, that is at every conference now about, Hey, you know, your phone, what it can do, make calls. I remember Mike saying that joke in 2007 at the builders show, like phones really didn't do much other, like you could, you could have the Blackberry apps and you had bricks that you could play the kind of knockout clone. Yeah. Most people still use phones for phone calls, but even then it was like, Hey, we need to get, get out behind the email. Anyway, we're, we're off track. So yeah, you guys have grown to a large organization. How many employees do you have now? Yeah. So we're, we're a little over 30 now, about three years ago, I, I merged with a company called Triad Analytics with my business partner, Eric Martinez came on and, and he brought over some of his team as well. And, and since that time, we've really, really meshed well and, and grown a lot and growth is a whole new challenge <laughs> to learn to navigate well, I, and, and just teach like people with and, kids, you know, when someone mm -hmm. finds out that I have four children, their reaction is generally like, Oh my gosh, how do you do that? And I met someone the other day who has six kids and I was like, Oh my gosh, how do you do that? That sounds ridiculous. I've, I've got six kids, Kevin. As third, got, oh my yeah, gosh. You do? <laughs> yeah, I do. What? So. Well, congratulations on that. <laughs> But 30 so, employees, I mean, we're right at 15 now and man, 30 just sounds like, but well, it is, it's an exponential, exponential leap. So you guys do what things to help builders? So we help them build a better website, drive more traffic to that website, and then convert more of that traffic into leads. That's, that's really our, our goal. So, so we, we always talk about starting with the website as the foundation because it doesn't do you any good to drive traffic to a website that's, that's just going to waste it. You know, because it takes a lot of time, money, and effort to drive that traffic, and and if it's not going to move forward because the website's junk, then you know why try? So start with the website, and then driving traffic. Of course, all the dig different digital marketing activities, whether that's SEO, paid search management, email marketing, geofencing, social media activities, all those things that you can do to get people to the website. And then we we say we kind of wrap it all together with some analytics and reporting services to to help you understand what's working, what's not. You know, where's where's that traffic uh, coming from? How's it moving through the site? And and how do you again at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is leads and then sales, right? That's that's the true measure of success. So if we're not if we're not getting the right traffic, it doesn't do any good. If it's bajillion users, if they're not interested in buying homes, then who cares? Exactly. So exactly. There's so many different things that we could dive deeper in today, but bantering back and forth over email, you, you gave me a list of a couple different things and something piqued my interest in particular, and that was geofencing, because I guess this episode is sponsored by the International Builders Show. I think it was 2018 or 2019. There was a gentleman, and it wasn't you, but someone who looked, had similar hair to you, and I don't know if you remember this gentleman or not, but he went to every educational session that I poked my head in. And during the Q&A session, no matter what the topic was about, he was like, hey, what do you think about geofencing? And he was someone who was selling geofencing <laughs> advertising services on the side and didn't want to have a booth or, you know, didn't. So he was trying to hack the, right. hack the system. But that seemed like peak geofencing back then. And it seems like it's kind of lulled and now it's coming back. And so I, I want to give you an opportunity just to kind of define the term, even though most of our audience probably has a sense of what it means. I think it's good before we dive in just to say what, for the sake of this conversation and what you, you believe geofencing to, to truly be, just give sure. a quick definition if you would. 
Yeah, so so geofencing falls in that category of what we call programmatic advertising, and and this so it's it's banner ads out there on devices and websites at its heart. The key though is how you're choosing who gets to see your ad, who who quote gets put on your target list, if you will, is is kind of how you do it. So for example, in, in other, in other scenarios, you, somebody does a search. So you show them your ad because they did a search. This is not geofencing, right? But this is, or someone visits your website. So you retarget to them. All right. That's a way mm-hmm. they get put on your list. So geofencing, we put them on the list based on where they go physically. And we use the the tracking in their phone basically to figure that out. Right. So everybody's device that has location services turned on, which while you can turn it off, a whole lot of things break if you do. Right. So, so it's pretty much on for everybody. It's always kind of, you know, I say calling home, if you will, registering its location because the the cell services need to know to be able to, you know, send you information and, and things like that. And so when you go to a particular location of interest that you configure in these campaigns, now that person gets put on your list as someone who may be interested in your in your product. And we can get into more detail of you know how we yeah, choose so those locations. They're, they're in a physical stuff, so. location. The word fence is used because we are outlining a geographical area using coordinates. Right. You're you're drawing a a, a square on a map, you know, so it's basically yeah. uh, of some some extent. And it's really interesting because if you draw that square wrong, you can really mess things up because oh, yeah. you know if you if you include the highway by accident that's going mm-hmm. by, you know, everybody's <laughs> the, in the highway, car. <laughs> Walmart super centers, <laughs> yes, Walmart uh, large yeah. <laughs> mega churches that have you know 80,000 attendees or a, a, a sporting venue, all, all that stuff certainly could could throw it off. So geographical, and most of this information then is provided by the phone carriers. So the Verizons, the AT&Ts, back through the the, the ad platform that you're using, that's a programmatic service? It's not something that we can see somebody's name or phone number, right? Sometimes people like, oh, I, I get their name. or No, we don't get their name or phone number right. out of this, right? There's a, there's a device ID that's anonymized. And it goes back to, you know, these, these platform providers that you then have in a relationship with that help distribute the ads. Yeah. And, and it's also not one of the other things I've heard people say, it's like, oh, they walk inside this magic fence and now their phone starts ringing or buzzing or, or doing things like that. Beacons, yeah. Folks. yeah, that's different. different. That's different. Right. And that's, that's not what this is. Basically they walk inside this fence, they go on the list. And now for some period of time, usually we kind of target 30 days, but you can do longer or shorter, depending on, on what you're trying to do when they open up the weather app or they open up, you know, Angry Birds or whatever their favorite game is, and they have those ads there, they'll start to see your ads instead of somebody else's because right. you've kind of bid on that based on those locations. They've I think it's important to just talk about the, the carrier's involvement or the company that you are paying for your, your cellular service. The reason it's important to wrap in their involvement and how the data is collected is because of the big elephant in the room of, of privacy and what Apple's doing. And so this is not, it's still first party data to the cell phone organizations. And because they're not tying it, like you're saying, directly to an individual right now, it's still kind of a, a loophole, so to speak, in terms of what Apple, Apple's, Apple's gate isn't ruining this, this data collection, as far as you can tell. And privacy will be an interesting thing to see how that evolves in this particular space, right? Because, because really it's not, it's not giving any personal data back to the advertiser, right? It's just trying to help get a useful ad. And, and I guess I know for me, 
an ad that is annoying is usually one that's like, why would they show me women's right. shoes? I'm not going to buy women's shoes. Why am I seeing this ad? Right. It's like, what, what are you thinking? But, but then an ad that I want, like, Oh, I like that truck. What does that look like? You know, all of a sudden that's useful to me because it's like, Oh, maybe I should get that truck. I don't know. But, uh, and maybe that was just a total sexist comment yeah. to the way I did all that. <laughs> well, but, but, <laughs> no, it, it is, it is a first world problem that if I, I happen to live with, uh, three individuals who, wear makeup on a regular basis. And so, um, simply by nature of my device being in the, in the same household, uh, you can tell that there's some platforms who aren't quite sure if maybe I would like to try makeup. And, and I mean, I am getting older. So if I was more vain, I think that might be a, a temptation for some people, but I'm good on, on the makeup front, but that is, you can tell who's, who, who is adding extra layers of data on top of just proximity. Mm -hmm. And that's, again, where I think a, a best practice of this is if you're going to do it, it's, it's not necessarily just based on location, but location plus other, other interests and activity. But, right. okay, okay, so I think, I think we've defined it. Now, one, one other quick kind of setting the table thing, I, I think it's really useful, is there is also the ability in, in Facebook or Google directly when you're making any type of ad to create a geographic boundary. Would you slice and dice that any differently than creating a geofence specifically for, other than the fact this is for display ads? Practically speaking, if, if people are familiar with that, is the process somewhat the same? There's certainly some similarities there in how you choose what areas matter to you. But I think it's a little bit different in the sense that if you're doing that, like as part of, say, an AdWords campaign where you're doing geographic targeting, yeah. Google's trying to guess where you are. And Google's pretty good at guessing that, right? But it's geofencing is a little different in how accurate it can be as far as that lo that location identifying. Identifier. I think that's a really important point to to just circle back to. And, and the more you know here, Google does have to make a guess. And one of the challenges specifically on mobile devices is that that guess is not likely to be as accurate without creating a true fence, uh, like you're describing. So it's very common in analytics, for example, a builder, let's just say an hour and a half, two hours outside of Houston to see all of the mobile traffic, according to Google analytics being defined as coming from Houston. Well, that's mobile traffic. You can look in there and slice it up and say, oh, that's 100% of that traffic and activity is mobile. And it's being routed through data centers in Houston, the mobile traffic, but it's not physically where those devices are. So I think that's right. That's right okay. on. And, and with geofencing, you can get really specific with some of these, these fences. I mean, we're talking like a building level. Type, like good old, good old fashioned Facebook, Instagram days, you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, and, and from, again, from a home builder construct, you can, you can fence a sales office, right. And you can fence your competitor's sales office and suddenly have your ads show on people's phones who have visited that sales office as an example, or the big real estate brokerage office, you know, of, you know, or, or that if you're, you know, got a campaign for, you know, why rent when you can own, then you go do some apartment complexes, you know, that might have your, your audience in there that you could, could yep. fence and start showing. Again, it would depend yep. a little bit on your, your product and, and your, your messaging and, and some of those things. And you can show different ads based on, different campaigns that are set up. So the, the apartment complex could be one campaign with one set of ad creative and, you know, the sales offices could be something different. Okay. And I, this is not a sarcastic question because I, I think you have a, a good answer for this. If you don't, 
or it is, or it comes across as sarcastic, we'll edit it out, but it's not meant to be so. Why can't everyone just do this, Greg? What, what is it about the platform that you're using? And I'm thinking in particular, it's probably a, like a minimum spend amount or like collectively how you have to kind of pull these together from lots of different advertisers to make that work. Yeah, that, that really is the, the trick to it is that the, the ad platform spend requirements, you need to be north of 10 grand a month in ad spend to really go direct to them. Yeah. But you can do a lot. I mean, we will run campaigns at the thousand fifteen hundred a month. In but you're, you have, you're packing yeah. that up in yeah, with multiple other builders or, or companies yep. and able to get to that threshold, whereas an exactly. individual person on their own would have to hit that that minimum threshold. Exactly. And and there's also just that advice and setup management reporting piece that goes along with that too, yeah. where where we help you get the right places, understand you know what's happening and, and all of that. Yeah. There's certainly the the ease of working with a partner like like you guys, but for those of you, because we have a lot of do-it-yourselfers who listen to the show, just back up the money truck on your own if you're going to do it by yourself. <laughs> because yeah. it's it's not inexpensive to do one-off campaigns if you're going to try to get access to these platforms that that give you that that functionality. Exactly. Other than the model homes, which I think it's everyone all hot and bothered uh, in a good way when we talk about geofencing, because who doesn't love stealing from their competitors? I know I always did when I was, when I was a builder, that was the best part. What's another kind of unique use case that you've seen someone apply uh, a geofencing display campaign? So there's, there's two, I mean, at the end of the day, what you're trying to do is where do people go that are in my target market or target audience, right? What, what, and, and somewhere they go that everybody else doesn't go like, all right, yeah, they go to Walmart, but so does everybody else. So, you know, <laughs> we, we don't want to, we don't want to fence Walmart. Right. I mean, yeah. if you're, if you're more of a custom builder, is there a home and garden show type of uh, a thing, yeah. you know? Okay. And this, this Steve Shoemaker and I used to spend a lot of time on this as part of our unicorn club pre uh, do you convert days for me uh, life cycle changes, right? So the, mm -hmm. they don't exist anymore, but babies are us or a store where you're going to go to get wedding supplies or baby supplies, anything yep. that could signify a change in life status. Absolutely. Could Absolutely. be a good opportunity to do something. Yeah. Unique. It's where, where do people go? And again, it's not just where do they go to buy homes, right? Where, like we said, a model or a real estate brokerage or something else, but, but where else do they go? Now, the other one, Kevin, that's, that's kind of newer is called addressable geofencing. And this one's, this one's pretty cool. This is where you can actually fence homes based on a mailing list. And so, so this that's <laughs> not as scary as it sounds. <laughs> yeah. It's, so why would you do that? Right. This is where you take and mine your CRM data, mm -hmm. right. And you, and you upload all the people in your CRM and now you're fencing their home. You, you could never do this on the map individually. It would take too long to, to right. figure all this out. Right. But there's, there's ways to upload those lists. They use like plat maps and, and survey data and all these kinds of publicly available things to kind of preload those coordinates. And so now you're showing ads. And again, the, the message would probably be different to this list than it would be to, to a different kind of list. But now you're trying to get back in front of the people that you've had some type of contact or interaction with 
by, again, inviting them back with some type of ad back to your website or back to a special event or or some other type of, of reasoning to take action. So so that's a whole nother use case. And again, the the impression costs are a little higher for that one just because of some of the setup that goes along with it. But it's well, not, that was it's gonna not be my next question actually. But typically when we think about display ads run straight through Google, the, one of the beautiful things is you're only paying when people click on it and knowing that click through rates on retargeting generally are, are lower. It's kind of like a, an unintended benefit of we get lots of exposure for a lower cost. Because of the nature of what you're doing here, it's a it's a per impression expense. Yep. Yeah, this is this is displayed advertising. You know, like, per like, one thousand. Nothing crazy when I say that. Just fa- Facebook and Instagram uh, are both impression based, no matter what they tell you. Um, mm-hmm. Platforms as well, <laughs> and it's definitely a a awareness type of campaign. It's mm-hmm. not it's not the same. You're not going to get the same response rate as you do from a paid search campaign where someone's in an active searching. I mean, they're looking at the weather and you're trying to get their attention with an ad on the weather app. It's right. it's their, their goal wasn't to go find an ad when they open the weather app, right? I mean, so so you're not going to get the same type of click-through rates that you get on like search campaigns. Yeah, but I, I, I think, you know, one of the questions we get asked a lot right now, um, it all comes back around in, in cycles, but is uh, I want to tell realtors, isn't this ironic, flashing back like six, seven months ago, how do I make sure all the realtors know about my new community or my new offset of offerings? And email, let's just face it, email to real estate agents is good luck. If you don't have an existing relationship where they're proactively feeling a certain way when they see your name in their email box, when we were at the retreat with Roland, one of the people who was a broker, I think she mentioned that she gets like two to 300 solicitation emails a day. Now, I don't know what market she was in, if it's Miami or Manhattan, I don't know where she was, but if someone's getting two to 300 solicitations a day, good luck with that. But a geofence campaign targeting people who uh, regularly go in and out of a real estate brokerage office letting them know that you have product speaking to them uh, could be, could be a great idea too. Yeah, definitely. I mean, realtors is a whole nother target. And again, that may be a different message in your ads than it might be in some other campaign. I think that's, that's where I see a lot of mistakes is they set up like this one set of ads and they try to use them everywhere Mm -hmm. instead of really customizing that message based on what we know about a particular audience or, or who we're trying to reach. Right. Is there logic and rules to change creative based upon time of day or day of the week or how granular can you or programmatic can you do in terms of matching creative to delivery beyond um, device? There's there's a little bit of that, but that gets, you know, kind of into another level of complexity for sure. Most of the time, the campaigns that we're doing, especially when you're kind of in those smaller budgets, it's more of a, here's our set of locations that we're after, and here's the creative set that goes with that set of locations. Now, yeah. the other piece though, Kevin, that, that's cool with geofencing, um, if I can say cool, is there maybe <laughs> I'm able to say cool, or, but I don't know what the word is anymore. Um, but um, But you can do conversion zones the same way as you do the the fences for the ads. So so this is basically drawing on the on the map again when that phone comes into this location it's a conversion. So what would be a conversion would be your sales center, right? right? And so now now we can track them and say they went into this uh target location, we showed them these ads and then they came to our sales center, right? They may or may not have ever called or filled out a form on the website or or whatnot, but because of their location of coming to our sales center now, we can see the impact of those ads and have that as a conversion as well. 
I mean, we can certainly still track website leads and drive them to the website as part of those ads and everything else. But but there's that physical piece of the conversion, which is a little different with geofencing than other tools. Makes sense. Anything else around that topic before I, sh- I shift? Um, I would just say that that this is if you're only doing one marketing activity, geofencing is probably not the one mm. <laughs> to start with. You know, this is <laughs> That's fair. This, this is this is the kind of thing that you layer on to to a digital campaign. It's it's probably not the only, because it's not at that conversion point. If you're not doing a really good job, like with Google ads and Bing ads and some of those and your SEO and some of those types of things, that's, that's where I'd say start first. Geofencing yeah. is kind of the, the new flashy thing out there. Um, I mean, you mentioned it died off. Honestly, I think COVID suppressed it a lot because people weren't out and about. And that so it took, it took, we had a lot of people that kind of scaled back or canceled during COVID because people were at home. I mean, and so they weren't going to these locations the same way. So I think that's one reason it's coming back right now is people yeah. are out and about again, but yeah, it's not, it's not the one thing to do first. If you're not driving, close your eyes for just a second and, and imagine <laughs> a sliding scale uh, on the left is direct response. I'm only doing this to get an attributed sale to to this thing I'm doing. And on the far right, you've got full-on branding. I don't expect to ever get a sale attributed to this. It definitely is further towards the, the, the branding um, reach awareness side of the spectrum, depending again on how large your audience is and, and what the message and creative is. Uh, you know, and the more you try to slide it towards direct response, the more work it's going to take to get it right. Is that, is mm-hmm. that a, also a fair? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. Okay. I want to shift to as a, as a fellow, I don't get to hang out with a lot of um, <laughs> home builder marketing podcast hosts. So I just was also curious, you guys uh, also have guests on your, your program. Mm-hmm. Where do you find these people? Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I find them from my own personal network or things I'm looking at, but I was just curious if there's anything that, uh, maybe the the question I'm really asking, Greg, is um, what do you what are you and Kevin reading or or watching or doing that's helping you kind of keep a keep a pulse on on because it's it's not some people are hiding intentionally, right? They're they're great at what they do, and and you like, hey, you want to come on the podcast? And they're like, uh, no. And then there's other people who are sending you like every three weeks, a semi-audit, it made an email saying, is it my turn yet? Can I come on? Can I come on now? I love the automated ones for people that have nothing to do with home building. And I'm like, do you even know what my podcast is about? Because you, you are, we're, we're not doing financial well, no, they, discussions. They, remember, remember <laughs> Greg, they sold, they sold an HVAC company in 2012 for a hundred million dollars. And now they moved on to this tech tech startup thing. And, and that's why you should talk to them. And it's like, I don't yeah. know if that's really a good connection. Yeah. I mean, we certainly get folks asking um, who are trying to, you know, sell new software or things like that, that, and, and I, I'm flattered that they want to, and they think it's a good, good platform. And I'm also curious to learn more about it, but I got to, it's a recommendation though, right? If you put somebody on, on the show or, or an endorsement, if you will, of, of what they're doing. And so you kind of, kind of got to be careful there that you don't put something out that you don't know anything about because people are going to, well, they said this was great. And, you yeah. know, so, but you've never, so that. like, I, I can't think of, there was one instance where there was a gentleman who came referred to us by someone else and did some initial background checks. And then we, we had the episode after the episode aired, he offered us a $10,000 referral fee if we could get anyone to sign up for his service. And that immediately was like a giant red flag of like, what are you even, what are you talking about? One, you don't know us if you think that's something we're interested in. Two, 10 grand for what he was selling 
seemed like that would have been like 90% of his, I think it was, anyway, it was just ridiculous and, and, and strange. Um, but have you ever had any truly bad experiences? I haven't had bad experiences. Certainly some people are more comfortable talking than others. And some of them you have to kind of pull some things out of, (laughs) you know, for sure. Um, I, I mean, we're interested in, in just talking to the people who do it every day. You know, that's, that's who we're, that's who we're really interested. I mean, we will talk to the consultants and, and the, the, the experts that are out there and, and mix them in because they have some good things to say and they, and they get to see some patterns out, you know, from their point of view that maybe everybody else doesn't always get to see. Yeah. Um, but, but we're really interested in just talking to those folks at all different size builders, you know, because everybody has something to offer. It doesn't matter if you're small, there's, there's plenty of those out there too, that, that, need that insight and want to know what other people are doing. Yeah, and just, I, I, I agree with you. I think the small, and I got, I obviously have to be careful because some of the bigger folks are also my favorites. Um, I love you guys, but the small ones, it, it often has to do with, um, being creative. I, like I, I always say, um, I much prefer the saying, think inside the box than think outside the box because restraints cause greater creativity. At least that's how my mind always worked. If you tell me there is no budget, I can't work in that space. Uh, I, I need to know a framework or a sales goal or, or some, something that puts a limit to help me be more creative. And a lot of times when I'm talking to people who work in a large organization, like everyone knows what to do. It's, it becomes more of a culture political thing of like, how can we maneuver and navigate and get this? Per- it's like, again, I say it's like playing survivor uh, in, in a home building company <laughs> in terms of lining up and secret alliances and, and hidden idols, et cetera. So that's why I love working with or working with and talking with folks at small organizations is you're able to be creative within the limits and find solutions and not have to work through as much red tape. Yeah. And I, and I think the, the great thing that, that I love about too is, is 90% of the people we talk to, they're not, they're not selling anything, right? Uh, they're, yeah. they're, they're actually doing us a favor Yep. by giving us an hour of their time yep. to, to kind of share and talk. And, and they're, and they're, you know, they're so willing to share, so willing to share that there's not this, well, will my competitors find out my secrets, you know, or, or, or know how oh, to okay. do things, oh, you know, this is, <laughs> again, we don't have to keep any of this in. That's why we don't do it live yet. Uh, once I get in my new office, we're definitely gonna do this live and on video all the time. But, um, one of the, I'm just, I'm airing my own grievances here is this Festivus. I mean, someone said, all I want for Christmas was on the radio. Uh, it's November 2nd. So I guess Festivus is upon us too, right? I'm <laughs> airing grievances. <laughs> but the thing now seems to be, and I'm noticing it with my kids too in school. Sorry for the roundabout way to get to this, guys. Um, this concept of, can you just give me all the answers? Where, where we see a lot of people reaching out to folks who have been guests on the show in our Facebook group or different places. And someone will post something like, Hey, we're thinking about starting to do X. Can someone just tell me how they do it with all the bullet points, all the files, all of the everything? Thanks in advance. And I'm like, I, I just, is there a better way that we can help people ask that question? I would hope so. I mean, I, I guess the answer to that question is, well, it depends. So there is no, <laughs> from well, but then we have people who want to be right? helpful, right? Yeah. So then, then there's people who want to be helpful and they're like, yeah, here's my, here's my process. Here's my system. Here are the scripts we use. Here's the creative we use. And without context, I guess I would caution people that you're not always being helpful. You know, we're really careful if we quote a number or use a case study, it, 
it's not the one-off one hit wonder type of approach. It's like, well, this is, this is a system or a process that we've seen be successful over five, 10, 20 different builders uh, trying to address a similar challenge. And the case study happens to be the one story, but it's, it's been a process where, whereas anyone, I think it's an old Myers Barnes joke or maybe consultant joke generally. Uh, if you want to sell a lot of homes, I can make that happen. Just tell me how big is your discount and how much can I spend on marketing? Right. Right. So that creates a great story. It's not something that you'd want to duplicate if you're trying to be a profitable builder. Yeah. Right. Right. Selling, selling dollar bills for 99 cents is, is not going <laughs> to, right. um, for, for sure. I, I think that's a great point, Kevin. And, and I don't know, I don't have good insight into how many times somebody reaches out to one of our guests and tries to kind of milk them for more. So to well, speak. and again, you know, I, I got to be careful and, and kind of back up. It's not the milking part. It's just understanding that the answers have to be given in context. And I think that's why the reason I really brought it up is because I think both of our programs are trying to say there is more to it. And so we're not asking someone to come on and talk about the, the best idea they ever had and the four growth hacks to unlimited sales success. <laughs> All right. It is tell us it's kind of more of an up version of, of, you know, how I built this, the podcast, you know, yeah. t tell us the process and, and kind of the nitty gritty nuts and bolts of what's happening here. I think that's really important because otherwise we're just going to be left in a world of please give me all your answers. Thanks in advance. And, and no one really wins there. Yeah. And I agree with you that those answers aren't super valuable with, without context for sure. And there's so many nuances. Everybody's doing it a little different for a reason because yeah. their, their box is different, right? The, the box you're talking about is, is different for each of them and, yeah. and who they're going after and the resources they have and, and the individual skills that they have in their, you know, own past experience versus what they need help with. It's, it's all a little bit different. I, I love just getting to know these people better, you know, and just kind of the, the thing that I find fascinating is how many of the, the marketers we talked to didn't start in home building. It's not like they're grew up in the end. And there's a few of them that said, Oh, you know, I, got, I had a parent or grandparent who was a builder somewhere along the line, but a lot of them are coming from other industries and have come over, you know, um, and, and really it's like, man, they've got some great, experience from seeing things totally differently that they're trying mm -hmm. to apply now and do it the way that other industries do. And that's, that's always really interesting to me to see those different backgrounds and, and try to see if it influences some of those, you know, solutions that they come up with. Yeah. All right. Last uh, topic, buy online. How close are we to the panacea? We, we I, I was a guest on your episode on your podcast talking about this topic, what a month and a half ago. So have we solved it yet? Um, no. Pause. Okay. <laughs> I had a really, I had a really strange thing happen to me, Greg, where some salesperson for a prop tech uh, organization, um, not probably the ones you're thinking of, this is a lesser known organization currently, did a sales presentation to uh, a marketer that I'm, I'm become good friends with over the years. And they had a slide with my face on it and, and had three quotes from me about um, the inconvenient truths about buying online. And then they used the Mythbusters logo and were kind of having an argument with me without me on the call <laughs> in front of this person about how Kevin Oakley was wrong about this and wrong about that and wrong about that. And the kicker okay. is then they reached out to me, the sales team reached out to me and said, we'd love to hop on and talk to you about how essentially you're wrong. Um, and, okay. <laughs> and how that, how that went. And then we'll, then we'll circle back was they, 
they're like halfway there on a lot of things, or even, you know, one of the, one of the, one of the inconvenient truths again is the front end and back end systems have to be talking in real time or, or this is not going to work at the scale that everyone wants it to. And they said, well, we have open API and we'll build an API for any system that's open. I said, aha, see, that's the problem. Uh, the three major ones that 85% of the builders we work with use are not open. They, they are walled gardens that do not push out live data. So I don't think I'm wrong there, am I? Like, well, no, but we'll do it. We just, so, so keeping the end in mind, what do you think still is the roadblock that everyone's trying to figure out? If you had to pick one or two things that are the main. If I, if I had to pick two, two roadblocks, I, I think the first one's data management that you already hinted at, you know, I, I really do. And it's so drab and boring and computer guy stuff, you know, that, that just, that nobody wants to deal with, especially the marketing department in general, doesn't well, always deal with Man, you're bringing data. us right. so many good, so many good things you're bringing up, Greg. That's why, again, not that I expect it to become ubiquitous tomorrow, but the idea of a marketing technologist position, but you're right. Marketing is not excited about diving into it. IT is not excited about diving into it, or if they are, they're only excited about, you know, making the, the Excel or the database files, they're like the front end and user experience and impact right. the customer. They don't care. So, so who is excited? And the I don't CEO, want to use the, the, the word CEO the is right. 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 <laughs> That's also a problem though, right? If the CEO is trying to drive and the And he wants it line. tomorrow because he's yes. excited about it, right? Yes. So if he or she wants it tomorrow, <laughs> then someone might get fired as we've hinted at before yeah. when it gets rolled out wrong. So, right. I, I mean, Kevin, the, the website has always been this weird tug of war between IT and marketing. You know, and and marketing over the last few years has kind of won that battle. It used to Thank always goodness. It's always been. It started in the IT department, right? Because it was a computer system. Marketing has has won that, but there's some elements of a good website that still need to be viewed as a computer system and not just the pretty pieces. Mm -hmm. You know, and and that's you know my personal background coming from the the computer side. I've always. I had to learn to embrace the the pretty picture side in my career <laughs> as opposed to the, you know, more of the the linear thinking uh, computer piece of it all. But but I guess this battle between data management really is going to require IT and marketing to come together yeah. to, to understand that. Because when marketing needs a new field, you know, to be able to do whatever, you know, IT is going to have to respect that because now this whole development cycle is going to get longer when you have to have the whole back end adjusted in order to support the data that's supporting the website. That's different than just logging into a CMS and making a change on the front end yeah. of a website. Right. It's a whole it's a whole nother level of testing and a whole nother level of yep. approvals and and everything else that goes into that. It's software development. Well, and when these when these guys I hopped I did hop on a call that day actually that that afternoon because it was just kind of intrigued me that they were using my likeness and a slide that I hadn't seen I was going to say, there, there should be a licensing fee for that or something, right? You know? I, I, that's actually maybe the fourth time with different organizations that that's happened. Usually it's a good quote from me. Like Kevin says, this will work. But um, when I met them, actually, what was interesting is their software was probably the most close to what builders need. They saw the data challenge. And then the other thing was on the demo, things were moving very quickly. When I went to some of the test sites that they gave me of builders using it, it was slow and I'm on, you know, I'm on a uh, thousand megabit download, brand new computer, high end everything. And I'm still counting the seconds to a new view being loaded, even though it's being rendered in real time in the cloud, et cetera. And I just thought on a mobile device, I, 
yeah. Anyway, d- data flow uh, data flow. and leadership, or who's kind of leading leading the charge? What, what would be your other one? The, the the other the other one I think is is just complexity, right? Now now buying a home is a complex purchase. We we can't get away from that, but we've got to find ways to simplify it. Um, if you're going to be successful online, because we already know that people get overwhelmed easily with too many choices. It's the same thing, right? If, if I'm trying to pick a, a cereal for breakfast and I have three in my pantry versus being in the grocery store aisle, trying to say, what do I want to eat for breakfast tomorrow with, you know, I don't know, are there are a thousand mm-hmm. cereal boxes in the grocery store now. Well, there used to be before supply chain issues. Now there's only 20, but uh, it's kind of, but, but still that decision-making process. And, and I see builders saying, well, we have to put every single option we offer into this online tool because they need to be able to choose every color and every you know different version of tile and every different this and that and whatever and and it's just overwhelming i mean it's yeah. overwhelming enough in a design center with a trained person guiding you through there and and trying to understand what you want it, it's still <laughs> what overwhelming. cracks me up is it's so overwhelming that it seems like the the answer for most of the larger builders today is that it's easier just to create another home building entity with a different name, a slightly different logo, perhaps maybe same website, different area, maybe different website, but you know, essentially the, the, here's our express home product that you can buy online and design online. And here's everything else. And it's, it's kind of like, if at this point, we kind of have to say that the idea of a custom option is gone if you're going to go down this route, you brought up grocery stores. So now I'm, I'm thinking about um, one of my favorite things to do working from home and being stuck here all the time when I'm not <laughs> traveling is I want to go to the grocery store like every day just to get out and, and have a reason. But you've got, you've got all the ingredients, which adds complexity, but then you also have the pre-made take home or the almost done. Do you want pepperoni or not on this pizza before I throw it into the fire at most large grocery mm-hmm. store chains too. And so all, the customer is going to get what they want ultimately, but but the complexity to get there, I agree, is a huge huge burden. But they, this company said they solved it, Greg. So we'll see. Yeah, I, and and again, it's it's also though about builders being comfortable with a, a simpler offering, right? Because yes, and that's be actually true. Customers are probably generally more accepting of it than builders are. Customers don't know that they're being limited in a lot of ways because they don't know what well, they know ugly. Could so be so yeah, if the well. limitations are ugly <laughs> or or someone made the wrong choices, that that really the light bulb went off in a good in a very good way for me when NVR purchased Heartland and they said you're gonna sell one to two million dollar homes at times with you know 24 options and uh five cabinet choices, but they were committed and are committed to making sure that they refresh and keep those the right five. So if you pick the right five and they're not ugly, absolutely. The customer appreciates the work of your team doing the curation. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it'll depend on the customer. I think the other piece to that is not every customer will ever go in that direction, right? There's always going to be some, again, I will name this company eventually, just (laughs) not right now. We just got to know each other. I realized they're not jerks. They realized maybe they shouldn't use my likeness all the time. Uh, But that was the cool thing about what they were talking about is they do have the ability for the entire process to be hybrid and the customer to choose, okay, at the design studio, I'd like to do this part virtually, or I want to start it here, go in, the salesperson uses the same tool to finish it. So on my, on my roadmap that I've kind of mapped out of different talks of how to get to the process of buy online, that was the most intriguing thing is they're like, Hey, the customer can pick up and leave off 
And the salesperson can use the exact same tool, even if we're limiting the amount the customer can do on a selection options end on, on the back end with that same tool, the sales team can have full access to everything and customize to, to the needs of the customer. And so that was, that was exciting to see. Well, I mean, Kevin, do you, you're old enough to remember the days where you could buy something online and not return it to the store. Right. They, oh, they, yeah. they, they didn't know how to, they didn't know what to do with it. You walked it, right. That, that disconnect of, of the systems, not taught. It was like their website for these e-commerce retailers was a separate business, a separate yeah. company. And we that still, we still logo. dealing with that. I mean, yeah. you go to Chipotle and sorry, we only have brown rice if you order on the app. Why? Yeah. <laughs> because we can't turn brown rice off on the app. So we have to make sure if someone from the app gets the brown rice, they get what they were promised here in the store. We can just look at you and say, you can't have brown rice. <laughs> it's like, okay, that's bizarre. But. Right. But, but there's so many retailers now that are doing a much better job of, of order online, pick up, mm -hmm. you know, buy online, return at the store, but you know, and, and the systems are all integrated and builders aren't there for the most part, you know, where, where the going into the sales office and they can pull up the things that I was looking at on the website last night and see my account and the options I've already messed with and, and interested in and, or, or vice versa, or work with them and then go home and finish later. Some of that back and forth, that's a whole level so of data integration. That's, that's got to be the final, final thing I want to pick your brain on. And we're, we're running close on time is I feel like this is then an area where it's, it's perhaps better to be a slow innovator than the first to, to, to say we did it because the amount of investment of time, energy, and resources of the team collectively of your budget. Like if you go in the wrong direction at this point in time where so much is possible, not everything should be done or the customer might not be ready or we're not ready. Should we be in a race to, to be the first you think? I, I think there's a, a segment of the market with, with those millennials and, and the others coming up that have lived with phones in their pockets their whole lives, you know, that they get frustrated when they can't do certain things online. Yeah. You know, I, I think, so I think there is a need to, to, a, to be moving fast enough to, to start taking steps in the right direction. Do we have to get to the point where you can do all of it before there's value? No, I think, I think if we can yeah. get a few steps down there, we can add a lot of value that 80, 20 rule, right? You, you, you nailed it. I mean, we need to let people shop. I just don't know if we, we need to worry about how they're actually doing the transaction, but getting all of the information out there in a palatable consumable way that gives the customer all the access they need to make a good decision. And, and again, to shop. In, in the simplest form of the word. I don't think there's a problem with that. And, and I think it, it's going to come. And I, of course, if you want to be the leader in that space, there's an opportunity, right? I mean, there's some people that are selling, have been selling inventory homes or uh, on, online for, for several years now, you know, yeah, and that's just, a little bit you, of a different, a little bit of a different model yeah, than the whole, than the whole I customization. Mean, you, you're, you're older and, and probably wiser than me. I, I feel like it's a, uh, potentially a technological leapfrog issue though, where you think like Verizon right now is still tunneling fiber all over the place. Meanwhile, uh, when 5g becomes ubiquitous, true 5g, like those lines in the ground are cute. Um, but like why? So, so I, I just worry that an organization puts so much energy and they are first, but then 2.0 of this is so much better. And you've, you've got all this legacy system and structure that you're then fighting against. There, I, I can see your point there. You but know, I, I um, think you're right. It's it's culturally what but, what the 
builder wants to do. But I think there's a whole lot of builders that are still doing you know, nothing. Think, 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 Black and white uh, think Excel is a database, right? They think Excel is a database and, and that's managing all their, their pricing. And, and from that standpoint, they've got five steps yeah, that they can true. take right now that'll just improve everything they're doing that'll yeah. get them closer. So when the right technology is there, yes. they're ready to we go. We just got an email um, yesterday from someone saying, I need a better contract generation tool. And I said, well, which ERP are you using? And they said, we don't, we don't do that. We have accounting over here on this system. We've got, you know, and then this, and I was like, well, then you've got, just fix that first. Don't, don't worry yeah. about, well, one off, you know, I mean, let's just figure out DocuSign type electronic signatures for for yes. some of our paperwork, you know, because there's a lot of paperwork that goes into buying a house compared to a lot of other transactions, right? Yep. And yep. And, be, and and having to actually sit there at the title company and fill all this stuff out with their hands or whatever, that's just crazy anymore, you know, compared yeah. to e-signatures and stuff. But it's still happening an awful lot. And Greg, thanks so much for coming on and uh, taking your valuable time and and sharing your your thoughts and insights with it. So again, it was it was great to get to know you in Florida, and uh, I imagine I'll see you again in Florida um, coming up here in February at the Builder yep, Show. Going to be there for sure. Love to love to reconnect. All right, there there shall be pancakes. <laughs> great. Thanks again. Thanks, Kevin. Appreciate it.